The Mayfly is up and the excitement is palpable. Wherever you are in Ireland, the lakes and rivers are soon to be hatching with Mayfly soon. And to help you improve your catch rate this season, we've used a Mayfly Tactics Masterclass with international angler, guide and renowned tire, Jackie Mann. If you want to learn about setup, tactics, conditions and flies, then head over to www.irelandonthefly.com forward slash masterclass where you can find out all the details to access the recording and Jackie's notes. If you want to catch that difficult fish or try out new tactics, then this masterclass is for you. Hello and welcome to the Ireland on the Fly podcast about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. Now it's summer and while brown trout anglers might be taking a hiatus and salmon anglers complain of low rivers, these summer months are an opportunity to escape to the ocean in pursuit of a different type of silver, that of the sea bass. Jason O'Reardon is a well-known Dungarvan-based angler and guide with Mackenzie, who throws a fly at pretty much anything that swims, including bass around the famous Copper Coast. And he joins us on this week's show to tell us more about the bass and how to catch them. But first, Tom, I wanted to talk to you about saltwater fishing. And is it something you've done or is it done much of even around the Galway coast there? Like, Hi, Dar. Yeah. Uh, first off, no, it's something I've done very little of. Very little of. I've only actually fly fish or bass once. And that was actually um, in the UK. It was in the Devon coast when I was over uh, there. And about, oh, it's about 15 years ago. Got a couple of schoolies and great fun. So I remember saying to myself, got to try this when I get home. Uh, but no, never got around to it. Uh, my problem is I'm very busy here in the summertime. And as you see, when we asked, that's one of the reasons I was, as you'll see from the interview, talking to, to Jason. I mean, when are the optimum months, particularly for bass? And um, unfortunately, there's, a, there's, um, there's uh, too much of a clash there with, when I'm busy. Uh, it was interesting, though, uh, you asked the Galway Coast there. I remember chatting to a lad I know here, Johnny the Hat, who's a good, well-known fly fisherman, but does lobster pots on the coast. And uh, I remember him saying once to somebody else, he said, oh, yeah, you never know the pots. I've, I spotted bass in a couple of places. And I just, not thinking, just said, oh, Johnny, where? <laughs> and got a complete stonewall of an answer. And you can understand that. And like, I think we'll touch on that when we talk to Jason because um, uh, they've come quite precious. I suppose the few have been overfished as well, which is what we're talking to him about. But um, that said, there isn't a lot of well-known bass marks around the Galway coast. Uh, I keep meaning to go with good buddy of mine, Jackie Coyne, because Jackie does a fair bit of um, fishing off the rocks and off the beach back there uh, for Pollock. And uh, now mainly with lures he's talking about, but he does go after the fly. So once again, it's it's what we we'll have to call this something. Uh, we call it the economy bucket list. <laughs> or, or, I don't know what we call it, but anyway, it's on my local bucket list is to go back with Jackie and to do a bit of Pollock on the fly. Yeah. So, and, and where does he fit? You're saying off the rocks, like is that where is that like Salt Hill? Kind Jackie, no, no. Jackie lives back in. Um, uh, on the way to Renville, let's call um, Mullock Gloss, um, Le- Letter Frack, Tully Cross, back there. Anybody who knows Letter Gesh Beach, uh, Glasgow Beach, between the beaches, there's a load of rocks. And Jackie's house is there overlooking the Atlantic. Uh, yeah, so and 
he's always he's always saying, oh no, it wouldn't be any good now. There was a storm a couple of days ago. Uh, out, so the wash will be too much. And he's always looking for when it's just right to fish the rock. So yeah, hopefully I'll get back and give it a go. I used to spend every summer in, uh, in Galway when I was a kid. My mum's family is from there outside Oran Moor, like literally just on, on the bay there. Like, and um, like the ocean, the Atlantic, you know, you'd be out in Connemara. I'm always struck by it. It's like, it's, a, it's, it's an integral part of the Galway identity. But um, correct me if I'm wrong, but like most of the fishing I know of Connemara is all inland or close to, you know what I mean? That there doesn't seem to be that kind of more developed culture of fishing around shore wrangling, is there? Or am I wrong? Yeah, no. This, uh, I, and I personally think it's probably underdeveloped. I've gone a couple of times shore fishing with, um, remember Dougie, Scottish lad, he used to be in Westport. And he, he used to be going on, you know, there's a potential here that has is really untapped, very much untapped. And yeah, but I, I don't know. It's, it's probably there's there's no big tradition of of it. It'll just take some hardy obsessive angler because this is my experience. A lot of these saltwater guys are that you know you have to put the time in in terms of getting to know the mark. Didn't that really come home, Chatjump? It really came home. My God, you know you think well, you know there I was thinking a mark is one particular spot the size of this room that I'm talking to you, and uh, no, you know mark is quite a large area, and you just think you know you have to cover that walking you know yeah yeah and then you have to cover it at different levels of tide you know and different conditions conditions yeah everything like you know the amount yeah yeah, and i can see what what you're saying how you'd have to be obsessive to get at it but then you get it right you reap you reap the dividends yeah no but there is something about the call of the ocean Mm, uh, yeah, um, yeah. You know, yeah. I've I've done now. It's mainly lure fishing. Done West Cork when mm. I go down with the family, and yeah, there's just so like I I write about it in the, my book. Um, one of the bass fishings, one of my best ever bass, actually was my personal best. Um, was night fishing, and in the night surf, um, with David Norman, and I just it's it's hard to just describe. You're standing there in the darkness, uh, of the surf. Yeah, and you can just imagine the pitch black of the night and the stars above you, and then you look down and you see the um, the luminescence, you know, in the water. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're, it's just mind blowing, like you know. Uh, and then you're there every time you cast out, and every time you're reeling in slowly, this could be a big one, you know. And you're yeah. just on tenter hooks, and it's the night time. It's two o'clock in the morning, and oh, it's just what what size was that bass? I would love to for some reason I I had 85 centimeters in my head but I know that's wrong David will correct me he listens to this podcast I know that's wrong I think it was like seven and a half eight pounds oh wow um and it was just fabulous fish like um and again what I loved again when he told me and Jason gets into this in terms of the lifespan of the fish you know he must have been probably about 11 maybe 12 years old maybe yeah isn't that amazing really is yeah 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 to think about it so there's such a special resource and as people have called somebody has said to me before you know ireland's a bit of a bass mecca i think it's one of those kind of we don't appreciate it yeah you know you have you have english anglers love coming over and you know they'll and i think as well they just think because it's quite underfished you know there's a lot of kind of different marks you can find different spots like i think that's one of the reasons why it is because it is underfished i mean basically from level of population that we have here compared to the uk you know Straight off with it, with you know, probably half the amount of coastline, we've 10% of the population, you know. 
So, exactly. Like, you know, but it is, I have said, it's like anything. I think if you want to get the most out of it, you know, wherever you're going, get, find a good guide, t- book him in, he'll take you out because at least you get the most of it. Cause I, I do that every time I find going West Cork, Dungarvan, you know, it's not like I can just pop down to the river, you know, you have to make a trip of it. So make the most of it, you know? So look, I think people will get something out of this with Jason, you know, there's a lot of information, you know, how to, but I, I find it fascinating. And again, it's, it's another branch and, you know, people might be interested this summer it might be something different it could be on holidays you know uh, and again it's just another fascinating area of fly fishing in ireland so let's hear from jason um just on bass fishing especially around the copper coast you have more factors than you tend to deal with in a river or on a lake tides tide variances all sorts of stuff that you don't have to worry about normally which are other types of freshwater fishing so um a guy living on the coast yeah fine you know, if you're living along the coast, it's 10 minutes, 50, 15 minutes. Um, otherwise, you're going to have to put in a lot of time, even with a lure rod, and quiz a lot of people. And then you need to catch fish on the lures to get a bit of confidence. And then you have to remember as well, a lot of the lads who are into fly fishing don't want to go lure fishing. I mean, if you're fairly competent with a fly rod, it's almost seen as a step back. You know, you'll do it if you have to. It's too windy or the water's really coloured. But um, the one thing I have noticed, most of the guys who come to me now um, are fly guys and they're fairly competent. You know, they're, they're pretty decent at casting. Um, even the tourists, when a guy maybe two weeks ago from Florida has his own flats boat, well able to double haul, you know. So a guy like that, you know, he... he even with a guide, he doesn't want to bring a lower rod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And really what they're looking for, and I suppose for anybody that, it, like you said, if you're not living on the coast, it's somebody, a guide that can say, right, based on these conditions, these ties, this is where I'm going to bring you. And this is where your best chance is. Like Tom on Carb, you know, you know where to bring the person for the best chance. But like Jason, you, you know, you do salmon angling, trout angling, you know, freshwater would you say in terms of reading the conditions and understanding the conditions, the salt is another level altogether. Not, oh, to, yeah. den- not to denigrate lakes or rivers. <laughs> no, but- yeah, no, I mean, no offense, but it's way harder, really. Um, it's like anything. I mean, you you know, you could go up during Mayfly time or something and just hit it right and go out and catch loads of trout on a, on a dry fly or something and think, oh, this is what's going to be like every May. And then you're in, you're in for a shock going forward, you know. Um, but salt water is worse because I'll give you a couple of factors you know tides obviously uh another one is water color i mean i think i've been up fishing with tom f- fair few times at this stage and i think maybe once ever i had really much bother with water color and we probably still caught a couple of fish um and then you have floating weed uh salmon anglers can relate to it in kind of weather we've been getting now sometimes they get moss floating down every time they cast out to get a bit of moss on the line fly gets covered in moss um, you know, floating, you get the little bright green stuff, you get this brown scummy stuff. I mean, it just covers your leader. Um, and then even from a fishing point of view, there might be a couple of feet of weed along the edge where you're wading. And if you don't get outside that, even with a line tray, if your line sort of falls into the water, you're not being careful, you're not making sure your line when you retrieve is on the line tray, you just look down and you can see about eight inches of this stuff and it just clings together. 
guy goes to make a cast, cast doesn't go, all the stuff's on the line, and then everything turns to mess, really. Or he lands a fish, and the whole leader's covered in brown because he's excited. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there are things really you don't have to deal with. You know, if you're out in the lake, you have to find the fish. You're, you, you know, you're, you're obviously... The hatch is a kind of a thing, probably, that's a little bit different. Um, but you don't have to deal with the same changes in water levels during a session. Um, so it'd be like, I suppose, for me, it'd be like, you know, sometimes you go out, out in Carib or something, you say, we go to Mask tomorrow. Mask is a, no, the windows are on for Mask, so we'll go to Carib. When you go to Carib, now there's weed floating everywhere here. And we go to, what's ever next, Cara. No, no, Cara, that's no good. Uh, Tides wrong for Cara. So, you, you know, it's not as, I mean, the marks, you could, I could be going anywhere from Waterford to probably Middleton if I really had to, just to find suitable water sometimes, you know. Um, so what it means most of the time is I'm off maybe two hours before I'm guiding, checking out conditions, you know, um, especially after a storm, you know, floods coming down the river, a lot of fresh water. The, the base here in Dungarvan could be, it's fairly sandy, so the water could be like minimal visibility. Um, and then you're talking like fly fishing. So then you say, well, look, what about going out the rocks? And you go out the rocks, the surface is so big that it's pretty much dangerous. Um, other times it's no wind, flat cam, and the whole place, everywhere you go is just weed, weed, weed. And there, there's pretty much always somewhere to fish, but that's what your guide is there for, you know. So we just get back. I mean, you're saying all the, the factors there, Jason. But like for me, the initiator, before we even get into that, what time of the year? For example, I know when people could come to the Western Lakes or I could know when general people would go grills fishing. But let's say like I'm thinking of taking up bass fishing. Uh, can I go bass fly fishing in January? I know you wouldn't. You'd be so for the water to yeah, warm so up. You, yeah, so you need the water to warm up for the fish to move in yeah, into yeah. close to shore. So what months are you looking at then, Jason? You're probably looking around... April at the earliest, really, unless you want to fish for sea trout, which are not as really affected by the, the temperature. Um, so you can certainly try for sea trout in February and March. And obviously, look, if you're living locally, you can go out to get a couple of days of nice weather and you can go out. It's it's the same as, say, if you were going out in February in Carabar Mask and you'd say to me, look, don't bother coming up. It's freezing cold. It's not suitable, you know. Um, but I look scientifically, I'm not so blown away sometimes with the science, but you're probably looking at something around 10 degrees water temperature, maybe. Um, it's like all theory. Someone will say they won't feed below a certain temperature and then some other will come along and say, well, I caught them two degrees lower, you, you know, so. Um, but look, as a rough guide. And I suppose, looks, again, you think of salmon. Water temperature is pretty big um, in terms of size of fly depth you want to fish, all that kind of thing, whether the, the salmon are even active. So, yeah, the water temperature, probably starting April, and then you can go right through caught fish in, in December, but that's pretty rare. Right. Um, bass can be caught in other methods, you know, at other times, like bait. And, um, but certainly for lures, flies, you're probably, if you're getting into November, once you eat frost, I find, 
the window we're looking at here is April, October. That's really pretty the window. Much, pretty much, even sometimes May to October, I would say. Right, fair enough. How has it been actually this year? Because like, you know, there was a lot of cold northeasterlies, wasn't there, coming in like, you know, in mm, May, yeah. I think, you know, so did that put the fishing down? Like, did it start no. later? Like, No, I mean, it's not, it's, it's not like, say, the lake or that. I mean, the wind doesn't generally seem to really affect the water temperature in the sea. It starts to rise and it generally either stops or continues to rise. You know, so if you're talking about even like this season from April on, with a lot of north wind, but where I'm based is a bit different. Like I know, for example, one of the other guys in, in Wexford was come saying that he was having desperate fishing, right? And he was lower fishing. And I, I imagine it was, you know, the wind and so on just didn't suit where he was fishing. But like down here in Dungarvan, the bay is a horseshoe. So, I mean, there's, it's a horseshoe and it has a mile and a half of a sand spit running across the middle of it. So there's always some side that's pretty sheltered. So, you you know, unless the water is so discolored that it's kind of impossible to fish or the weather is so stormy that maybe you can't fish, you pretty much can fish. So for us, the Abbey side side of Dungarvan, along towards, our, well, you're familiar with kind of Clonay side, I suppose, you know, north wind, that's sheltered. You know, you get a south wind on the ring side, that's sheltered. You know, you get a, a west wind that's kind of going off the land a bit, so... Everywhere is really, really good. And yeah, you get probably the worst to be like a southeast, fairly fresh to strong southeast for fly fishing. Um, you're fairly limited. Um, and again, it can vary as well because at low tide, there's a lot less water in the bay. You're only in the estuary or looking at channels. They might be well fishable compared to, say, Mark, when it's full tide. You're looking at like... On good springs, you're probably looking at a strip of 0.3 and high of four meters or more. So there's a big, there's a big difference in height there, you know. So, you know, I could go drive down at full tide in the morning and look out and say, geez, there's white horses everywhere. I'd go back at low tide and just hardly, hardly wave on it. Mm. So, yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot going on. Target the spring tides, isn't that your kind of best opportunity? Yeah, I think there's more movement in the water. Low tide fish are condensed into smaller areas because they're forced out. Um, certainly the middle two, two hours or the middle third, if you like it. So it's a sort of a six hour change from low to high. There's a lot of movement in the water on the spring there. Um, that seems to get the fish going. My friends then who are total believers in the, the solunar theory, as it's called, the sun, moon, and they'll say, oh, it'll be such an hour. I'm not as... I'm not as convinced with that one. Um, one oh, no, sorry, just explain. What are they saying? Is, is it to do with the phases of the moon? They're saying. Um, it's called. They call it the sun moon transit. Right. So it's this idea of the, the sun is going down and the moon is coming up at the same time. Right. And it's it's usually marked in your tide book at the bottom of your tide book. Um, so the you moon can have to do it than horoscopes. Um, no, apparently. <laughs> apparently, I did look into it. Yeah. <laughs> I did look into it. Apparently, some guy got shellfish or crabs, I don't know, some, something like that, and he put them in tanks miles and miles and miles from the sea. And they were happy out inside in the tanks. But during that sun-moon transit, they all got active. So based on that, it's like everything in the sea gets active or feeds or whatever around that time. That's, and even though these weren't even in the sea, 
it, it, it's a, yeah, but it's a good sound in theory. I, yeah, I like and, it. <laughs> and all lads are totally convinced. And if they don't catch, they'll say, sure, it's the wrong hour. <laughs> now, look, if you're guiding... <laughs> I must remember that one. Someone for yeah, I hours, like that one. You know, so... Look, I wouldn't discount it. I mean, the guys who believe in it, a friend of mine, he's he's a scientist. Is You know, he, he lectures science and he's convinced, right? Um, he's into lure fishing and he's convinced. And again, obviously the spring tides go with moons and whether it's a full moon or a new moon, so whether it's kind of bright at night or dark at night, again, lads will have a big thing. I think it def- definitely will affect night fishing, but that's the same if you're night fishing for sea trout, if it's bright. You know, I, I would say... Um, some of the guys will, will come up with theories. I like the theories. I like listening to them. Like um, one of the lads fishes down from Moorside. He reckons if there's a if there's a moon, the fish come in in the evening and they feed all night, sort of under the light of the moon or whatever. So when you come along the next day, the fishing isn't great, kind of an idea. Whereas if there's no moon, he reckons the fish is better. Um, I don't know. I mean, I can say in the bay here. That what do you prefer, Jason? Proven to me, like. What do you prefer, full or new moon? I prefer fishing in the day and sleeping at night, Dara, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough, yes. But actually, is there much, because uh, I know down in West Cork, uh, the night fishing, it's getting more popular. Is there much, is it growing in popular? And, and tell me this theory in terms of, one of the theories is that because they're getting more wise, that it's getting harder to catch them during the day, and that's why kind of night fishing, you're seeing a kind of a growth in that like. There's probably a certain element of the amount of fishing they're getting, but down here, what I've seen, where they fish at night with the lures, it tends to be on beaches, um, shallow surf beaches. Into the surf, is it like? Yeah, and if you are, well, normally when it's flat calm at night, so so okay. I mean it's pretty calm when I'd see the lads down there. Um, I've tried it with the fly, very very poor success, which for me I think. Although you're hooking the fish in close with the lure, I think the fish are following it from a bit of a distance. And the same spots don't really fish during the day in the same conditions. So they won't fish unless you have a surf because, as you said, the fish aren't going to swim into that shallow water. There's a lot of people swimming, paddling. Mm. Tourists are down. Um, So, yeah, I I would say um, conditions play, play, play a big part in it. Actually, once more again, actually, because we've been covering this, and as I said, the uninitiated, which is me, what are they feeding on? Sure, could be all sorts. I mean, on, on those beaches, what you find is when you're coming up to low tide, when you wade out, and then when I say wade, you're probably walking out your knees. Um, and about welly depth, if you've the lamp on, you'll see sand eels coming out from under your feet. Now, they tend to be small early season. They get a bit bigger as the year goes on. Like mines, I suppose, like fry in the lake or whatever, you know, they're getting bigger from 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 after the hatch. But um, yeah, look, it's different in the estuary. We've a lot of sand in the estuary. They would be feeding, I would say, a lot on shrimp, um, crabs. Generally, like I always ask any of the lads that I know to keep fish now, I always ask them what was in the fish. And one guy last year was fairly interesting. He fished the same spot three evenings in a row. And he caught fish every evening, but he kept one each evening. So, of course, I was talking to him then, and I said, well, do you know what, what did you keep him? What were they feeding on? The first evening, Vassy kept 
had all sandals. The second evening, the bass he caught had one sandal and the rest were all small green crabs, like the size, a bit bigger than a two euro coin. Uh, hardback crabs, not peelers like we think as anglers, mm. you know what I mean? He caught all those fish in the cover, close to, in around rough ground, we'll say, weeds, rock, that kind of stuff. The third evening, exact same mark, right? Same set of tides. He caught one fish and he caught the fish at distance and the fish had nothing but shrimp in it. And were the conditions the same each evening? Well, I mean, the tide was slightly later. Conditions were exactly the same. So that made total sense to me because it was coming to the end of the season and we might call it the sandy spawning run was coming to an end. So he probably just caught the last bit of that, the first, the first evening. The bass obviously still followed the same route. The sandies weren't there. So they said, well, look, there's crabs. We've been nosing around. <coughs> the third evening... For whatever reason, the fish stayed out in the channel. So he was casting into a channel, and that's where the shrimps were. You know? And that was that, that was my second question, apart from where they were feeding on us. How far out did you catch them? So once he started telling me they were all, all different food items, I was saying, well, you know, well, well, did you hook them all the same distance? And I knew that mark very well. I've seen it at low and low tide, we'll say, when, when, when you can kind of walk around it. And it made perfect sense to me. In close, there was cover, rock and kelp. That's where you hooked the fish that were feeding on the crabs. Then he hooked the fish on the sand outside that when they were on the sand eels. And then he hooked the fish on the shrimp in the channel at distance. He caught them all on the same lure. That right. Was that was, that's interesting now. Yeah, he caught that them all on the same lure. Mm. There was another friend of mine fishing that mark, the next set of tides. And I said to him, Put on a fly teaser, like a dropper. You'd say, Tom, you know, fly fishing. Yeah, yeah. A dropper. So the two lads arrived down. Your man was back again. He'd been having success. Another friend of mine went down as well. Two of them were there. The lad with the fly teaser, I think, had nine bass landed. Now, he doesn't keep any fish, so it was nine. You know, he was catching and releasing them. The other guy who'd been fishing it all the time, I think he had two on the lure. But the guy with the teaser had nine, and I think seven of the nine, or most of them anyway, were on the fly. Right. And I would hazard a guess because they hooked all the fish at distance that the fish were on shrimp. Right. And you think about it, a big 130 centimeter hard lure probably doesn't look much like a tree in shrimp. There's a food item, do you know what I mean? It's suppression. If you're out in the lake and they're feeding on whatever, and you pull a minky or a big streamer or something across a fish he might still have a go but this smaller mobile fly with the movement obviously was more shrimpy to the fish and he caught more fish on it to be honest with you actually the more i listen to this now as i said because i haven't done any i i have done bass fishing once um but uh it, they sound very much like trout in a lot of respects i think there's a good there's a good crossover if you understand it yeah. In, you know what I mean? If you if you have good knowledge. Um, and it's funny, like the trout anglers that I take out have confidence that last last week or so I had um I'm sure you won't mind me mentioning that Dan, Dan O'Neill from Mount Juliet and a friend of his were out with me. And I knew 
there was going to be a bit of action around full tide because it was the third day in a row I was out. It was kind of the same every day and conditions were the same. So we, we kind of said we'd put in a couple of hours trying for a big fish. And then we targeted the schoolies because I knew the schoolies with flat cam, really warm. They start showing themselves around full tide. Um, turning the tide, then the weed was going to, basically the weed was going to get deposited on the shore. So a place that you couldn't fish an hour earlier because there'd be weed floating everywhere. All that weed would be kind of washed up and you could fish it now. So we went along, we fished. We saw a few fish swirling, good-sized fish, didn't hit anything. The lads never lost confidence. That was the funny thing. Yeah. No, they never lost confidence. And eventually they had, I don't know, they both had fish. Um, Dan's friend probably hooked more fish. Uh, but that was really interesting for me that, you know, they could sort of understand what I was saying. Now, there'd be more trout anglers I'd expect than, than salmon anglers. They've done a little bit of pike fishing as well, which is interesting too. Um, from the tackle side of it, lads who are into pike fishing, that, that's handy. They can cast, you know, they've used heavier, like eight or nine weight rods. But we've a kind of a funny system down here because we have flats inside in the bay, loads and loads of flats with sand and really clear water. And it's, it's not particularly deep. Um, so it's more like bone fishing. You can see the fish some of the times. Um, and then obviously, if you're fishing, if you're, like, if you're casting into probably not much more than waist deep water, so it's a couple of feet, we use six weights a lot of the time. And a six weight for the shallow clear water, and then we bring an eight or a nine weight for the likes of channels and places where there's either current or wind or rough ground. So you're not worried about spooking a fish. You're probably hoping to catch, you know, your, your larger fish. Now, what lines are you on then? You're just using the standard weight forward um, on the, on the, on the trout rod, we call it, you know, nine foot six weight. You might pick up, you might pick up mullet. So yeah. it allows you to fish lighter tippet, you know, I say lighter, like eight or, eight or ten pound which is probably in x is probably about one x wouldn't it one x maybe two x at yeah. most um, in around there so um, and are you on a floating line yeah in the shallows we would pretty much be on a floating line right and that's on your on your let's say your nine foot six six weight setup and you're using tippet of between one x to two x ten to eight pounds yeah you might taper it a bit or you might fish two flies as well you hedge your bets yeah. a bit. So very like trout fishing. Very like yeah. trout fishing. Um, then your other outfit, you know, you're you're fishing probably most of the time in intermediate. Um, cold water, like an outbound short. Um, I find that's probably where it's worth investing in, you know, an actual saltwater rod. If somebody has an old nine foot six weight lying around, which most of us that trout fishing that have that we don't use anymore you know it's it's not designed for the salt but if you mind it and you wash it you'll get a good bit of time and if it's just left in the shade it's not being used what's wrong with you know taking it out and using it and you know again i i, I would say to lads a cheap reel plastic you know can't rust too easy um and like i have one there i have a nine foot six weight there an old one that i sometimes give lads for guiding and i must have 15 years and I, I can't see anything on it but we don't throw it into the salt water we don't submerge it we don't use it as a wading stick we don't 
you know, leave it in a mound of sand. So if you're careful and you wash it down and you're not dunking it in the water, um, it'll be fine. I, I wash all the stuff down when I come home, which again, is a bit of an ordeal. People forget when you're out guiding them. It's a bit like maybe say Tom getting the boat ready or tidying up the boat when everybody's gone, you have to wash down all your stuff, dry it off. Then when it's dried off, I spray it with a silicone spray. Um, that helps a bit for the next trip. I just wanted to go in there, Jason, because it, it always strikes me, um, and Tom, I don't know your thoughts on it as well, is from talking to yourself and other guides is because the coastline and the so many marks, and as you mentioned before, the conditions, is how much time it takes, you know, in terms of understanding the marks and, you know, blank days. And it, like you really have to put in the errors, don't you, to really know the marks? Like, Yeah, I mean, when I decided... I was kind of really getting into the guiding part of it in the salt water. And it was a bit because salmon fishing was getting bad. And um, funny, salmon fishing, I oh, hope salmon anglers don't mind me saying this too much, but salmon fishing was getting worse, but it wasn't getting any cheaper. Right. And uh, I always laugh, but now I'm always saying this to people. If you take a guy who's starting off tomorrow wants to go salmon fishing, I even, I take myself, right? I'm in a couple of clubs down here. Uh, 100 euros for an All-Ireland license. I'm in a lake club. It's about 220. Um, I'm in another river club. That's around 220. So I wouldn't see 600 or more going fairly quickly. Now, if you walk into your local tackle shop and you say, I want a pair of waders, a cheap rod reading line. Um, and if you think your first two seasons, that's 1,200 minimum. The salmon guy has spent before he a rod, a reel, a line, waders. So let's be saying to me, look at your man over there with the lower rod, Sims waders, top of the range, you know, such and such. A it's like golf. He has no green fees. Three fish. Yeah. yeah. Three fish and you just, just go fish. Um, but yeah, to, going back to your question, time. But what I did, I went down at low tide and I fished it all the ways in and all the ways out. Pick sort of an area. And we go there and you fish that, um, start at low tide, all the ways in, all the ways out, and you do it for maybe a week and you try and get different wind, different conditions. I should have wrote it down, I suppose, but look, when you're living local and everything, it's easier. You kind of remember it. But um, again, you compare, like some people say to me, like, oh, there was a few tourists over with lower odds um, and, they, you know, they got all these bass and all. I said, how, how many rods? Uh, there was five of them. How many days did they fish? Uh, seven. Five rods, seven days. How many hours a day? Oh, I saw them here, 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 here. They only slept for about six hours. <laughs> you know, they fished most of the rest of the time. Yeah. So, you know, it, if you had a, a bit of common sense about you, you fished a good bit, and you went out in Cora, you know, weather wasn't too bad, that it was hindering you too much. And you took out three or four boats and you had a plan and you spread out and you fished all the tactics and all the methods for that many days, you'd probably get fish. And you probably learn hotspots, you know, and different things for those same conditions again. So that, uh, the effort, so you know, you're with talking With regards about. to marks and the hotspots, and I have heard of things, can they be overfished though? If you're killing the fish for sure, Yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah, no, no, particularly certain estuaries like where, where bass seem to come right up into an estuary. 
Yeah. It's probably the same couple of fish coming up. And sometimes they're really big. I mean, I've seen some big fish caught down here in kind of unlikely places, probably because they don't get fished that much. <laughs> um, but what I've noticed is some, someone gets a big fish and if they parade it about too much, the next time you pass that mark, there's a lot of lads fishing. If a lot of them are ki- killing fish, um, you know, it's, it is going to have an effect. Like they're, they're quite slow-growing fish. Obviously, as in a lot of forms of sea angling, there's quite a few sea anglers out there who like to keep their keep what they catch. So yeah, no, look, I, I've not. I mean, I've kept fish, plenty of fish in my time mm. too. You know, I, I you know I, I want people thinking that I'm sort of a mad catch and release, don't kill a fish sort sort of a thing. It's not the case. It's just most of the guys I have out are fly fly fishing guys, and they generally aren't that. You know, they're more in it for I would say the sport side of it than the eating fish side of it. And if a fella wants catches a couple of fish, if he catches five or six fish, um, and they're a good sort of eating size, like if you had a fish probably around 50, 55 centimetres, you want to keep one of them, that'd be a nice fish, and they're sort of a shoal size fish. I mean, if he gets a fish over 70 centimetres, you know, which could be, we had two fish so far this year around 62, 64 centimetres, which I think is around six, six and a half pounds probably. Um, you're getting on the wrong side of eating fish the way i explain it to people is you know if you can have a choice of lamb or ram you know um as with the case with most meats and fishes i suppose you know the really big ones aren't they're quite old as well though jason aren't they they're they're really old yeah and you can take scale samples i've done done all that stuff before you go to 12 13 14 years can they more more i think i had one i think i had one with 17 plus years they put wow. in a plus because there was some damage to the scales, maybe a seal or a net. They weren't sure. Um, so, so there was a bit of damage. So they couldn't, they, they sent me a little report um, and they couldn't be exact trying to count the rings on the scale or whatever. Uh, but yeah, I suppose I was, I was really intrigued with all that. And I'm sure you guys are, but then I, I got to a stage where um, it's, it's tough fishing. So, Really, I put a lot of effort into into the fishing side of it, um, and I don't. You know, it's just easier when people contact me. I say, look, you know, you're 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 unlikely to be keeping a fish, you know, and you know, some fella rings me. I've one group coming later on this year who who are into lure fishing, but they're they're, they're coming from abroad. I don't think they'll be fishing too much. I'm pretty sure they won't keep any fish from what I've gathered. I don't, not too push, but, you know, anyone, I'm sure Darren knows the lads in Cork, and I know one or two of the chaps around Wexford, they don't really want to be bringing people to show marks if they think they're just going to go in and kill everyone. Understandable. And also if you're likely to come back on your own. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you, that's another thing as well, isn't it? It is. And look, <laughs> the thing is, I've had lads, I've had lads who have come back on their own yeah. and I've seen them. And what happens is in a day, say from, from low water to high, you'd be doing well to fish three spots. Most likely you get to fish two spots. And out of Are you serious? Two- Sorry. Are you serious? Like, so if you had a day and you're going out in, in that day, three spots are probably three marks, I'm presuming, mm. would yeah. be the maximum you could fish. Yeah, so most yeah. probably two. Well, like if you're giving yourself two hours roughly per mark, so if you're going, say, for the last two hours of the tide going out, mm. uh, then you have to drive to another mark, 
most likely what will happen, the tide will turn and as it pushes, it's going to cause a lot of weed and dirt in the water. So you have to get out of there. Then you're going to have to go, to, say that's an estuary mark. Then you have to go to either another estuary mark or maybe a rock mark for two hours. Then the flow is going to go out of that. So you might have another spot that just tends to fish well at high water when there's not much current, just kind of fish hole there. And you get maybe an hour, hour and a bit after high. So, you know, if you're starting at 10 o'clock and it's high at six and you're fishing at seven or eight, that's, you know, you're between travel and setting up and putting on waders and maybe walking and all that. You're doing well to get sort of out of eight hours, three kind of two hour blocks. Now, there are times you might just go to one spot because the conditions are right and you could just stay there. But that spot could be a mile long, you know, of rocks and Right, and so there's a lot of options in it. Oh, that's sort of thing, so. Yeah, it could be just good ground with a lot of rocks, a lot of gullies, you know, and the fish are moving up and down it. So, you, you know, as a guide, you might say, look at, at this height of tide, this spot here is good. And then an hour later, they tend to be over there. But that won't stop the, the customers, you know, moving up and down and trying to intercept the fish. Can I ask you, Jason, um, just as we're wrapping on this, um, you mentioned the overseas anglers. like, And I've heard Ireland described as a bass mecca before. Um, is it seen like that from kind of international anglers' views that if you want to catch the bass, come to Ireland and the south coast especially? Like, I follow a lot of the stuff on social media and certainly the Netherlands, they seem to have some great bass fishing in particular. Um, no, I mean, look, it's guys in Europe and that who are into bass fishing or fly fishing for bass, they'll travel around like any of us to, to different locations. I think probably maybe the UK, um, there are probably a lot of places maybe where the fish aren't as big or they don't get as many big fish on lures and certainly on flies maybe. Um, they certainly seem to do well down in Wales from what I've seen. So, um, no, look, again, we had two weeks ago, we had a good three days. I think we had, I had a man and his wife, and then I had a different chap for one of the days. And I think for the three days, we had 27 bass and it was all fly fishing. And like I said, two were over 60 centimeters. But like that was three days with a guide, you know, two people fishing two of the days, one the third day very very competent anglers um one had a good bit of experience bass fishing the other fella had a good bit of experience saltwater fishing um i brought my son off yesterday for an hour he went down with a spinning rod and um you know he, we got nothing <laughs> you know so and then we already went for an hour and he's not big into fishing he's more into his gaa but um, you know, people would think, oh, sure, Jason, just bring the young down and catch a fish. It's, it's not that easy, you know. Um, but certainly, look, social media, it's the same with salmon. You see it. Oh, Namaya's teaming with him. Then next week, the Blackwater's teaming with him. Or, you know, the, Tom probably sees the same with the lakes. The mayfly is up. We were out, I think, on mask pretty early at olive time, Tom. We saw one. Yeah. So, you know, we take a picture of that and put it on Facebook and lads will be trying mayflies to beat the band. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's only the good the, the good times or the, the positive vibes that kind of, that, that stick with people. Tell me this, um, Jason, just looking to the rest of the summer then, um, July, August, are they the kind of peak months now, you know, in terms of people looking to catch a bass on the fly? I think they're good months. I think any time from May, if the weather is good, particularly like hot, calm, 
anytime from May through to end of July is good for numbers of fish. Tend to have a lot of school and fish around. Um, I think for the if you're after big fish, probably late September, October, even maybe November. But what I notice is the number of fish caught falls. And you know, you might fish two or three days for one fish, but it could be a really good fish when you get to the real end of the season. Um so yeah, look, it depends what depends what people are are sort of trying to target. But I, I know the last two sessions I was out, the lads when they were using the six weights and probably using one X, maybe even zero X, and both times the lads broke in fish. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you know they were they were catching smaller schooly fish. And then instantly, you know, you know, from the fella's voice, like he's like, whoa, <laughs> excitement just goes through the roof, big fish. And unfortunately, you know, they're the bigger fish. It's a thing people don't understand. Bass have real leathery mounts and they take off like steam trains. So if you're coming from a salmon background and you adjust your, your drag on your reel as if you're going to, you know, a salmon takes and goes, what will happen if that's a big bass? You're, say you're swinging the fly in the current or something, it comes around, big bass takes it, man sets the hook, and you just hear the reel singing and all the line going out. And by the time he gets back in touch, that bass is wrapped around something pretty nasty and he's not getting them. Um, and then the same, really a lot of trout, trout lads, because I think they're used to fishing with lighter tippet. You know, if you've probably had done a bit of streamer fishing, maybe lower fishing in the lakes early season, you know, Tom again had noticed you, know, you could fish pretty heavy tippet and fish aren't too too fussy. Um, bass in general, when you're using big flies anyway, like I would probably a lot of the time be using maybe seven, eight feet of, I don't know what X, because it's more like spinning floral carbon, but it'd be like 18 pounds straight through. So you could be using, um, or sometimes if it's windy, you might be tapering the line a bit more, but like it wouldn't bother me to have you know, like 25 pounds, four feet, three or four feet to 20 pounds, and just a loop knot onto the fly. I would not be one bit worried about, you know, the They're not leader shot. <laughs> no, no, uh, no, in a lot no. of conditions. But if yeah. you're fishing very clear, shallow water, a lot of mullet, and, you know, you're likely to be spooking fish, then I think you're increasing your chances by scaling down. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, I think... Um, Panic sets in when you hit the, the bigger fish. I've, over the last few years, I mean, one chap from Cork, um, I know he had a fish around seven pounds on a seven weight. I had a chap from South Africa, and he actually had two pretty big fish on. I mean, it looked like one of those rods you go in, again, no disrespect, like into Lidl or one of these places. You know the kits you get for the kids? He tightened the drag up full because that was the advice he was given. And... It was like a seesaw, really. I mean, fish, fish would try and run, and he was having trouble getting line off the reel. And your mama started to lean forward on the rock, and then the fish would come towards him. But he got the fish in. If he left that fish run, he wasn't going to get that fish. And I would say the same with lads lower fish. And I know you've done a bit of flying lower dara for bass as well. And I mean, if you had that drag set light and you hit a really big fish, you're not going to get it. Final question, Jason. Let me ask it to everyone. What was your most memorable fish? Bass. 
Bass, yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. Don't say fish, because look at <laughs> fish for anything, as you, as, you, as you guys know. Probably fish for goldfish inside in the bowl, <laughs> if you left me. But probably, yeah, it's an unusual one. And actually, Dara, I think you were with me, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, we were fishing a particular mark, and we went in the dark. So we, we, we got there in the dark before daylight, um, partly because I wanted to get a bit of fishing in before anyone else was out of bed and see, saw, saw this really, like we say, specific spot where we were. And I got a really good fish. And I took him around the corner a little bit away, not to disturb anything and not to be seen. So I had this great idea. I had one of these red LED head torches. And I said, sure, you know, I'll turn on the red light. People won't take any notice if they can see me. And, uh, you know, got out the phone and I measured the fish. And, and if, if it was a big fish, uh, I think afterwards it would have been about 12 and a half pounds off of the centimetres when I converted it. Um, <laughs> the picture was a disaster. Uh, all I could see was this sort of red spotlight uh, and you could really see one third of the fish pretty well where the red beam was. <laughs> and then the, the top and the tail and some of the head was quite blurry. Now, look, you could probably make out that it was a big fish, but like, oh my God, what a disaster. But look, anyone who fishes with me probably knows I've no interest in, I only take the pictures, I take them on my phone. I have no proper camera. Um, I've no interest in it. I just want it as a sort of a record. If you like, I need a certain bit of it for social media. It's a bit of promotion. Um, you know, I don't like holding the fish anymore in the pictures myself, even in the lake. You know, if I was out with Tom, I'd usually say, just take a picture of him in the net or on the seat. I went through that phase where I wanted to be holding him, you know, with the arms outstretched in every picture. Uh, and look again, I'll be honest, I went through a phase when I was younger and couldn't catch enough fish. And if I was allowed to keep six fish, I'd keep six fish. And if they, now if they said you could allow keep four fish, I'll keep four fish. But I, now I don't, I just don't bother, you know. Maybe everybody goes through that phase. Um, maybe I'm getting old. Really don't like keeping wild fish anymore. You know, that have been your best one, Jason? I'd say yeah, 12, 12 and a half, you know. Um, I've been out with guys. I was out with a guy. Um, we all call him Finbar. He's a lad from Tyrone. He was lower fishing down from Strabane. He was actually down the last two days now, but I wasn't fishing with him. He was salmon fishing. He had two fish around 80 centimetres in one session. Right, what would they? 80 uh, centimetres. What that? They'd be that doubles out? anyway. They'd be, I, I, I expect they'd be over 10, um, like 82 and maybe 84. Um, and he caught the two of them in the one session and he caught the both of them off the surface. Jesus. You know, on the poppers. Right. So, like, you should be just saying to yourself, you know, not being lucky, you know, mm. or, or obviously, look, I'm not saying there was no skill there, but to catch two big fish in one session, mm. you know, in the middle of the day, bright sunshine on a surface lower. I mean, you know, but that, that does throw what, what you said there out the window a bit about the night. I mean, maybe you have a better chance. Do you know what I mean? Pretty with lures. Fishing at night, mm -hmm. you know, and you're not like, but I remember years ago, I mean, Tom would know a guy there, John O'Brien, he runs a, a tackle shop in Waterford. I mean, he's a extremely good sea angler, shore angler, you know, international medals, all that. I remember one time John saying to me, it was like heat wave type conditions, 
kind of conditions if I mention them going up the car of our mass, they appear just out of nowhere. Out of the blue. Suddenly, suddenly transpired. John just looked at me and I said, John, oh, geez, I'm going, you know what, what you think? And he said, sure, you know yourself, Jay, just go to a current, an estuary channel, and there's X many knots, you know, 12, 18 knots of water flowing. And you have anywhere between 8 and 20 feet depth. I don't think they're that pushed about the sun. You know what I mean? The food's all moving around. Now, like I say, if you go down to a rock mark out in the Copper Coast in those same conditions, and you think you're going to stand there waving a fly rod around, <laughs> and Mr. Big Bass is going to sit there waiting for you, it won't happen too often. I always say, the more you practice, the luckier you get, you know, and it always comes back to putting the time in, you know, and, and especially like, but I also think that's kind of where if you live near or near enough like that, you have to put that time in. Whereas if you're kind of maybe looking at bass, as I do kind of maybe just on the summer months, that's where you need the guy to say, right, we're going here. This is what we're doing. And, you know, away you go. Um, like, you Yeah, know. and every type of fishing, because, you know, people probably often probably say about me being kind of an all-around angler. You know, I fish for a lot of different things. It all helps. They all help each other. You know, that's that's a definite. I mean, remember being on Carb the first time we fished the deeps and Tom said about mackerelizing. <laughs> I looked at him and said, what's he on about mackerel in the middle of Loch Carab? He's finally gone mad, you know. Uh, finally. And then I saw what he was on about and straight away I said, nervous water. So we would call that saltwater fish in nervous water where bait fish are or something or just, it's a disturbance that you see. It looks out of place. And once he said it, I knew. And I mean, that crossover for me, I knew what I was looking for. A fr- friend of ours, Dave, was in the boat. Dave ha- hadn't seen that before so he didn't really know at the time what yeah. he was looking for it took yeah. him more time whereas instantly i knew what he was looking for you know um so all that sort of stuff you know like i say salmon anglers will understand certain stuff straight away when they come if they're fishing in currents where you're swinging a fly they get it straight away because it's just like fishing in a river your trout anglers, when you're fishing with the six weights and, and you're wading around and trying to be stalking fishing that, they'll get it straight away. Um, your pike anglers, I often have this conversation, again, it's a theory, about sometimes the big fish are full and I think they're digesting. And a lot of the lads I talk to that are into fishing for pike and catch big pike, they say the same thing, that there are periods when the fish just seem to switch off and they're probably full. You know, um, and, and you're talking about digesting crabs with shells on them and shrimps. And it must take it, you know, when and you're funny when you see the sprats late season or, or the bigger sand eels, fish do seem to fish more longer periods. They're feeding for longer periods, probably because, I mean, they probably eat those sand eels and a few hours later they're, they're gone through them. Like, whereas, you know, certain food items probably don't digest as quickly. Like, I don't know about in the lake. <clears throat> You know, I often wonder in the lake when early season, when they're feeding on small fish, um, you know, shrimp, hoglouse, that kind of stuff. Apart from the temperature and the time of year, I just wonder, is that window? Because there seems to be a window. And we experienced that very early this year, I think, on mask, um, where there's a window where the fish start to feed. And they're not feeding before that, and they're switched off after that. And, and I, I think... You know, it's funny as the, obviously the temperature goes up, but once you get fly hatches, they seem to feed for longer periods up until you get real heat. And, and there's a lot of crossover 
between you know what what I'd be doing in the salt and what I see in other types of fishing. So look, if anybody's done, you know, river fishing or salmon salmon fishing with a fly rod, they they'll see things when they're out fishing that that sort of makes sense to them. I hope people kind of get an idea, maybe either just a taster of it, but also kind of maybe understand that we're only really scratching the surface here in terms of yeah, you know, the conditions, the food. Even the, the what is it the sun moon transit if you want to go into that <laughs> yeah. the horoscope whatever however far but there you know like I said we're only scratching the surface on this and um, definitely something we'll uh, might come back to um, later in the year just to kind of maybe delve a little bit deeper into into the mysteries of the salt I think as we call it Jason O'Reardon thanks very much for joining us thanks lads our thanks to Jason O'Reardon for joining us on the show and don't forget to rate review and follow. The Ireland on the Fly podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Plus, you can keep up to date on irelandonthefly.com as well as on Instagram. And myself and Tom will be back with another episode about the people and places of fly fishing in Ireland. The Mayfly is up and the excitement is palpable. Wherever you are in Ireland, the lakes and rivers are soon to be hatching with Mayfly soon. And to help you improve your catch rate this season, we've used a Mayfly Tactics Masterclass with international angler, guide and renowned tyre, Jackie Mahan. If you want to learn about setup, tactics, conditions and flies, then head over to www.irelandonthefly.com forward slash masterclass where you can find out all the details to access the recording and Jackie's notes. If you want to catch that difficult fish or try out new tactics, then this masterclass is for you.